10 this morning, I, I want to first remind us of a, of a verse in chapter 1. And most of what we've been covering in chapter 2 has been connected to this verse in chapter 1. And it's chapter 1 and verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 1 and verse 5 that's on the screen, we, we've learned that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they presented the gospel to the Thessalonians and it, and it didn't come in word only, but it, it, but it came in the power of the Holy Ghost, and it came in much assurance. And, and we've learned that this unleashing of the power of the Holy Ghost that we see in this verse, it's connected to the manner of men that they were. It was connected to the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves and behaved themselves amongst the Thessalonians. And, and what we've discovered as we've been studying this is that the first 12 verses of chapter 2 actually describe for us in detail this manner of men that they were. And it, and it describes the way they conducted and behaved themselves that led to this unleashing of the power of the Holy Ghost in their midst. The, the Thessalonians went from being idol worshipers, for goodness sakes, that were involved in all kinds of sick behaviors, all kinds of debauchery, and they went straight from that to being examples to other believers all around the world to follow. My goodness, that is some serious power that was unleashed in their lives, and it was connected to the manner of men that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in front of them. And, and so this begins week four now since we began diving into chapter two to to see just how it was that Paul, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves in front of the Thessalonians that caused them to be so mightily used by God and become what we've been calling the model of discipleship. What, what did this behavior look like that contributed to the unleashing of this power? And, and, and so as we've Study these verses in chapter 2. We, we've seen God describe Paul, Silas, and Timothy's manner of, manner of ministry or manner of life. We've seen him describe it in a couple different ways so far. And we, we've seen God come at this thing from a couple different angles as he describes to us what that looked like. God, God, God describes for us a lot of the things that they didn't do, a lot of the ways that their manner wasn't. But then he describes what they did do. He describes for us what their manner actually was. And, and he makes some specific comparisons for us. If you guys recall throughout this series, Paul, he compares Paul, Silas, and Timothy's manner of ministry to something that we're more familiar with. So up to this point, if we were to describe what they did and what their manner was, based on verse 4 of chapter 2, we could describe them and compare them to stewards. Do you remember that from a few weeks ago? They, they, they just couldn't get over the fact that God had allowed them and given them the privilege of being entrusted with the gospel. And, and, and they wanted to be good stewards of what they'd been entrusted with. And, and then in verse 7 of chapter 2, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they're described and compared to nursing mothers. And, and for the last two weeks, we've been studying that, and we've been, we've been studying what that looked like exactly. And, and now this morning, we're going to see that there's another comparison 
that God makes for us to help us understand how it was exactly that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were behaving themselves and their manner and what it looked like uh, amongst the Thessalonians. And the next comparison is, is the, the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves as they discipled the Thessalonians or their manner in ministry is compared to how a father conducts himself toward his children. How a father conducts himself towards his children. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 10 is where, is where we'll pick up. He, he, Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe, as ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, here it is, as a father doth his children. And of course, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the guys that, that led the Thessalonians to the Lord. And so they actually were what we would commonly refer to as their spiritual fathers, right? They, they, were, spiritual, they were their spiritual fathers, and these Thessalonians were their spiritual children because they were the ones who helped lead them to their spiritual birth. Now, now a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was joking with you guys about the Bible using these female illustrations to describe a man's behavior as a nursing mother, and, and, and we had a little bit of fun with that, but now this week the tables are turned. Now the ladies are given the, the masculine description, so, you know, don't get mad at me, get mad at God. He's the one who did that to you, man. It, was, it wasn't me, but, but in a spiritual sense, ladies can conduct themselves as spiritual fathers as they disciple other ladies, so so ladies, don't think you're off the hook this morning when you hear this, fathers. Don't start tuning me out or anything like that. This, this still applies to you. So a, a couple weeks ago when we were, we were studying what God was trying to teach us by comparing Paul, Silas, and Timothy to a nursing mother, we, we talked about the fact that Romans 1.20, it teaches us that God uses his physical creation and he uses that to teach us about spiritual things. He uses that to teach us about spiritual truths, and this case is no exception. Okay, so these father, these, these spiritual fathers behave themselves in some specific ways toward their spiritual children that are compared to some of the specific ways that a physical father should be behaving towards their physical children. And so as we begin studying some of these ways that Paul, Silas, and Timothy behaved themselves amongst the Thessalonians that are likened to being as a father with his children, first I think we should take a look at, at some of the things that God has to say about our earthly physical fathers. If that's the way God teaches us, and this is, the, this is what is being ascribed to Paul, Silas, and Timothy, well then let's just look for a second at what the Bible has to teach us about the way a physical father is to conduct themselves. So I want us to see, number one, a physical father's influence on his children. A physical father's influence on his children. And, and, and my goodness, we could obviously spend months and months just talking about this, but we're just going to highlight a couple things this morning that I do think that God wants us to be reminded of as it relates to being a father that just kind of sums this whole thing up 
for us. And, and I know that Corey has been in studies before as well, where we've gone through and studied this influence and this power that a father has in the life of their children. And man, it's, it's so unbelievably true. For better or worse, there is no human on this planet that God has given more power and influence to in the life of a child than their father. It's an influence and power that, that the Bible teaches us actually even extends to multiple generations. In Exodus chapter 34, in verse 6, it says, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, check this out, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. A father's power and influence is so massive in the lives of these kids that your kids can still be reaping the effects of it four generations later. Uh, on the positive side, though, Psalm 78, verses 5 through 8 says, for, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them unto their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast on God. And again, we see this multi-generational effect from the influence and the power of a father. Listen, our decisions don't just affect us. God designed it so that, that fathers would have this incredible influence and power on their children but that we would use it for good. <laughs> and one of the reasons that this influence and this power is so strong is because children have this God-given innate desire to please their father and to put this guy on a pedestal. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 6, it describes it this way. Children's children are the crown of old men. And here it is. And the glory of children are their fathers. The, the glory of children are their fathers. Where do you think kids get it when they do the whole, my dad can beat up your dad? <laughs> no, my dad can beat up your dad. But listen, fathers are their kids' heroes. It went, when I was a kid, sometimes me and my dad would go to McDonald's. Now, my wife would never let me darken the door of there now. But this was, a, this, was an, this, was another, this was another day and age. And so we, yeah, me and you will go. That double cheese calls my name sometimes. I'm not going to lie. The <laughs> uh, so, we, so, so like any kid, of course, I got a happy meal with French fries and and so there was this guy in our church back in Ohio growing up. His, we, his name was Mr. Culpepper. And he was 
He was six foot five. He doesn't have a first name when you're a kid. He's just Mr. Culpepper. And so when, <laughs> and so we, I'd have these French fries. We'd have these French fries. And, and, and the, but this guy named Mr. Culpepper, he, he's, he's six foot five. And so, you know, tall dude. And, and, and my dad wasn't short, but he's about five, he was about 5'11". You know, so nowhere near 6'5". Six, 6'5 five. Six, five and 5'11", there's, there's a huge discrepancy when you stand side by side. And so when I would eat my French fries as a, as a kid, I'd get out my French fries. And I'd, and I'd get out this small one. And I'd say... This one's Mr. Culpepper. <laughs> okay. And then, I, and then I would go to the biggest one in, in the bunch. And I'd grab the biggest one in the bunch. And I'd say, this one's you, Daddy. <laughs> and you know what I was telling him? I was, tell, I, was, I was communicating to him that ain't nobody got anything on you in my book. You know, you know what I mean? That, that's what I was communicating. He couldn't escape the impact that he was going to have in my life. God put something on the inside of that child that, that desires to put a man they call father in their life in high esteem and to please that guy. Many fathers use that impact and influence for bad. It, sometimes they're not even meaning to. And, and some of us were fortunate enough to have a father that used it for good. But the influence and power is there, whether, whether we like it or not. And, and just like in the physical world, God designed this thing in the spiritual world so that we would have a spiritual father in our life that has a similar type of, of influence in our lives. And that that influence would, of course, be used for good and that we would ultimately become spiritual fathers ourselves. God designed it so that we would have someone, and of course it can be more than one, that's like a father to us, that disciples us, and that we can turn around and then be a father to others and, and disciple them. That's the essence of discipleship, though. A spiritual father leading, teaching, and being an example to their children. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul says, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, these weren't his physical sons, but his spiritual sons, verse 15, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Paul says, it's great that you have all these people that will instruct you, but, but you don't have too many that will actually be a father to you. And again, just like God designed physical fathers to have that power and influence in the lives of their physical children, God designed, this, designed spiritual children to have spiritual fathers that have power and influence in their lives. And that's why Paul's making this point in 1 Corinthians Four, you, you see, every single one of us had a earthly, physical father. Doesn't mean he was a good one. Doesn't mean he was even present. But regardless, you had an earthly, physical father that passed his DNA down to you. And then also, every single one of us that are saved, we've got a heavenly father, don't we? And, and, and then if you're saved, you also have someone in your life that, like we've been talking about this morning, that would commonly be referred to as your spiritual father. 
Sometimes your earthly father and your spiritual father are the same person. In some cases, your spiritual father may be the one that led you to the Lord or that played a role in your second birth. In some cases, your spiritual father may be the one that raised you spiritually. Maybe he didn't lead you to the Lord, but maybe he raised you spiritually. In some cases, the one that played a role in your second birth is the same one that raised you spiritually. That's the same guy or that's the same lady who did that. And, and, and maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you, you were saved in a church service much like this. But listen, but no one ever raised you spiritually. You, no one ever discipled you. You experienced your second birth and you were so excited about that. But since then, you've been a spiritual orphan. You've never had anyone come alongside of you and establish you in the faith. You've never had a spiritual father in your life. And just like it wasn't God's design for there to be orphans in the physical world, it isn't his design that there be orphans in the spiritual world either. God designed for us to have a father in our lives and for for us to have that influence in our lives and for us to ultimately then be that father in others' lives. And that leads us to another biblical principle about fatherhood that I'd like us to see as we're studying how Paul, Silas, and Timothy behave towards the Thessalonians like a father does toward his children. And that's number two, a physical father's responsibilities to his children. We just saw God's design is that we have a physical father in our lives and that we have his influence in our lives, but but that he also but but he also designed it and desires that that we have a spiritual father or a father's influence in our lives as well, and that we ultimately become that to other people. And another part of God's design, though, that I want us to see is that we fathers, check this out, would actually share a title with God Himself. Wow, that and listen, that wasn't on accident. That wasn't because God looked back after the fact and was like, hey, that would be a good illustration. No, he, he, here's the reason that God gave us the same title that he has. The reason that God, God gave us the same title father that he has and that he shared that with us is so that we would use that power and influence that, uh, that a father has that we just talked about to do two key things. And, and first is so that we'd use it to exemplify our Heavenly Father to our children. That's the, that's the first key thing and the key reason that he gave us this influence and in, in this power is to exemplify the Heavenly Father to his children. That, that's why he's sharing this title with us. God designed for us to have an earthly physical father that used his power and influence to be an example of what the, what the heavenly father looks like. It, but you see, our earthly fathers were supposed to do that, but most of them didn't do that, did they? But, but it's almost as if God designed this thing of discipleship to bridge that gap. If your earthly father wasn't present in your life or, or he's no longer with us, there's no one on earth that can be that for you exactly. But keep in mind, though, your earthly father was really, he was there just, he was there to be a picture. 
He, he was a picture of the real thing, the real father. He was supposed to be a picture of the heavenly father. That's why he was there. And, and some of us had fathers that messed that picture up for us, something serious. And others of us had amazing fathers that did that thing so right. But no matter how amazing he was, he could never be as amazing as the picture he was trying to paint of the heavenly father. And no matter how horrible he was and no matter how amazing he was, God designed it so that there might be someone in our lives that though they can't fulfill every physical role that our earthly fathers did, they can do one of the primary things that our earthly fathers were supposed to do and they can exemplify the heavenly father for us. But, but, but he's also called us to be that example to others as well. Some of us may need that in our lives, but, but whether you need it or not, ultimately, we need to be it. We need to be like a father to his children towards those we're discipling. That's where this thing need, has to end. This is where this thing is going. That, that, that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did with the Thessalonians, isn't it? Isn't that exactly what he did? Chapter 1 in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians teaches us that that the Thessalonians became followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Like an earthly father supposed to do, they used their influence and power from that innate desire to have a father in our lives, and they used it to be an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and the Thessalonians followed that example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy set for them. We, read in, we read in 1 Corinthians 4.14 a few minutes ago, but I want you to look back at that verse with me, and I want you to pay special attention to verse 16 as we read it again. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, wherefore I beseech you, or I'm imploring you, be ye followers of me. <laughs> you see, they were his spiritual children. They, they were Paul's spiritual sons and his spiritual daughters. And again, he's saying, listen, there's plenty of folks out there that are telling you what to do because you've got 10,000 instructors in Christ. But what you don't have, you don't have many fathers. You see, a father is meant to be present in a child's life because one of their primary responsibilities that we have is to be an example of the Heavenly Father so that our children can follow it. You, you, can be in a, you can be an instructor without being a living example like a father. And, and Paul was a, a father to the Corinthians in this verse. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy were fathers to the Thessalonians. And that's how they modeled discipleship for us. We're to be like fathers to our disciples. Another responsibility that God designed for an earthly father to have with their children is that a father's supposed to point their children to the heavenly father. They're to point, to point his children to the heavenly father. Earthly, physical fathers have always had the responsibility of pointing their children to the heavenly father. All the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God was already laying this principle out for us. <clears throat> Moses was, was laying, God's, laying out God's commandments, statutes, and judgments, and he told the Israelites, 
And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and, that, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And he's telling them, point your children to the heavenly Father. Teach them and point them to him. Do it when you're chilling at the house. Do it when you're walking down the road. Do it before bed and do it when you wake up. It's so important that you need to be doing it all the time. Always be finding a way to be pointing them to the heavenly Father. Proverbs chapter 4 in verse 1 says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father. If your father's doing it right, he's instructing you. And, and what his instruction was actually designed to do, or the thing that's behind that is, is he's pointing you to the heavenly Father. Fathers are to teach their children to follow the Heavenly Father. And, and, and we've been seeing that example, man, throughout this whole series. Not, not, not from physical fathers, but from spiritual fathers. We've been seeing this through this whole series. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the Thessalonians' spiritual fathers. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy were constantly pointing them to the Heavenly Father. We, we, we saw it as recently as last week. The, the end of verse 9 of chapter 2 it says, hey, we preached unto you the gospel. They, they were sure to do that. And, but in other words, they were pointing them to the Heavenly Father. What could be a better pointing to the Heavenly Father than giving them the gospel? And, and so God's design was that physical children and spiritual children would have a father in their lives and that they would ultimately then become fathers to others. And in the physical and spiritual world, that father's design and their purpose and responsibility is to use that power and influence that, that God gave them and use that desire that God put inside a, phys a physical and a spiritual child to have that person to look to and use that power and influence to exemplify our Heavenly Father and to point them to our Heavenly Father. But, but what I want us to see as we continue is how the verses that we're studying this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, how they actually describe the way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy did these exact two things. It's pretty cool how God laid this thing out because what you begin to realize as you're studying these verses is that verse 10 of chapter 2 is actually describing for us how Paul, Silas, and Timothy exemplified the heavenly father to the Thessalonians. And verse 11 is actually describing for us how Paul, Silas, and, Tim how Paul, Silas, and Timothy pointed the Thessalonians to the heavenly father. Paul, Silas, and Timothy say we behaved like a father does toward his children. And in the midst of that, just like physical father, it, like a physical father is to do, he lays out for us how they exemplified the Heavenly Father to the Thessalonians and how they pointed the Thessalonians to the Heavenly Father. And so first, let's look at 
Number three, the way spiritual fathers are to exemplify the heavenly father to their spiritual children. The way spiritual fathers are to exemplify the heavenly father to their spiritual children. We've already looked at the fact that this is what a physical father is to do, and now we're going to see how it was that Paul, Silas, and Timothy actually did this spiritually. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10 Let's read it again. Ye are witnesses in God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As, as Paul, Silas, and Timothy, as they're discipling the Thessalonians, they behaved towards them as, as fathers towards their children. They exemplified the Heavenly Father in front of them. And here's what it looked like. They were holy, they were just, and they were blameless. The, the way Paul, Silas, and Timothy conducted themselves towards the Thessalonians was what contributed towards this unleashing of the Holy Ghost in the lives of the Thessalonians, as we've already covered this morning. And, and verse 11 of chapter 2 says, they behaved like this father does towards his children. And verse 10 says, that looked a whole lot like holiness. That's what that looked like. That's what, that's what letter A on your outline is, to be holy. We're to be holy. Verse 10 says how holily they behave themselves. You've got to love how he throws that extra syllable in there just to make sure you're, sure you're listening. Holalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
is when the Lord Jesus Christ returns at the second coming, he's going to take the same path that the Ark of the Covenant took from Sinai to Canaan, and he's going to leave death in his wake everywhere that he goes. And he's going to start in the same place and cross at the same spot that Moses, he's going to start where Moses was, and he's going to cross where Joshua was, because that's holy ground. When Jesus does that at the second coming, keep in mind, though he came as a lamb in the first coming, at the second coming, he's coming as a lion. And it will be a slaughter. And Jesus will take that exact same path that the ark took, and he's going to slaughter everyone that stands in his way. Sure, it's judgment, but it's also because the land was holy. Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. And here's the thing. Everything along that path, is, is part of the original Abrahamic land grant from Genesis 15 in verse 18. That land is God's land. Listen, he set it apart from all the other land on earth, and its purpose was for him and for his people. That land is holy to God, and one day he will forcibly remove all trespassers from the, his land. And I tell you that, and you may see where I'm going, but I tell you that to show you that this thing of being holy is linked to your purpose being dedicated to the Lord. That land was holy because its purpose and its use was dedicated to the Lord. It was for His use. And and there are these other inanimate objects that are connected to holiness in the Bible. Holiness is connected to the Sabbath day being holy. It's connected to priestly garments being holy and just like we saw it's connected to land and in all of those cases it's connected to things that found their purpose in being dedicated to the lord they were the lord's possession and so when it comes to individuals being holy listen it's the same thing living a holy life is a life whose purpose is is their dedication unto the lord for his use. They're they're holy, so they're set apart unto the Lord for his use. They're pure and undefiled because their life is dedicated and set apart and surrendered to the Lord. And, and, And just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy lived holy lives and exemplified our heavenly Father in front of their disciples, the Thessalonians, we too are to live holy lives set apart in front of our disciples. Another way that Paul, Silas, and Timothy exemplified our Heavenly Father in front of their disciples and how we're to also conduct ourselves is we're to be just. We're to be just. 1 Thessalonians 2.10 again, it says, how holily and justly they behaved among them. Their behavior was holy and it was also just. Their, their behavior was, it was righteous. Luke 23, I think, gives us a, a good definition, a good biblical definition of what being just is. And we get it from an unsuspecting source. And in this chapter, Jesus is on the cross, and there's this conversation going on between the, between the two criminals that are on the cross. And one of them says, if you're the Christ, then why don't you save yourself? And while you're at it, why don't you save us? And the other criminal responds to him in Luke 23, 41, and he says, And we indeed justly, 
In other words, we're up on this cross right now for a just reason. We deserve to be up here. And he proceeds to define what he means by that. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. That, that's what being just is. You're weighing everything out and you're evaluating it. And based on that, you do whatever's right. <laughs> the, the criminal on the cross is saying, when you weigh everything out that we've done, when you evaluate what's happened, it's just that we're hanging up here. It's righteous judgment. Listen, it doesn't matter if the decision benefits you. It doesn't matter if the decision costs you. You're not weighing the effect of it on you. You're weighing whether it's right or it's wrong, period. And then you do what's right or you do what's just or you make a judgment that's right and that's just. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity, and check this part out, and his children are blessed after him. Would you look at that? We talked earlier about this generational impact and influence that a father has on his children. And here we see it again. A just man is reaping blessing. A just man's children, rather, are reaping blessings from their father. You see, when you're behaving like a just father towards your spiritual children, your children are blessed after you. The children reap that blessing and that benefit of having that spiritual father in their life who's using that power and using that influence that they have to behave themselves justly in front of them. That's how we're to exemplify our heavenly father. Another way that spiritual fathers are to exemplify the heavenly father to their spiritual children is to be blameless. Letter C, to be blameless Again, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.10, your witness is how holily and justly, and here it is, unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. They, they, they couldn't be blamed. They, they, were, they were blameless. You just couldn't find fault in these guys. It, Paul says it like this in Acts 24.16. He says, And herein do I exercise myself, to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and toward men. Man, that right there will take us places, won't it? That right there will take us far. A clean conscience that hasn't done anything offensive to God. A clean conscience that hasn't done anything offensive to others. Now, now it's possible to sear our conscience, but... If our conscience is functioning the way it was designed and it's functioning properly, the way it works is we know deep down inside when we did something wrong to God and when we did something wrong to others. We may be in denial about that for a period of time, but deep down inside we know. But we should be able to have a clean conscience from anything that's offensive to God, anything that's offensive to people. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul says it this way, giving no offense in anything. Why? That the ministry be not blamed. Last week we talked about the fact that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy 
man, they, didn't even, they weren't even taking their just compensation that they were due because they feared it could hinder their ministry. And this is the same idea right here. In all things, they wanted to be blameless for the ministry's sake, and so the ministry wouldn't be harmed, and so the ministry wouldn't be blamed. Listen, when you're ministering to people and discipling people and being used of God in people's lives, it can become a battleground. It's a warfare. Sounds like fun, right? Let me sign up for that. That's what it is, though. It becomes a warfare. It's a spiritual warfare going on, and people are coming for you to try to find somewhere they can stab you in battle. But Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they didn't have any weak spots. They, they, they didn't have any weak spots that they could stab because these guys were blameless. That's the life that God's called us to live, y'all. It, it, that's the life God's called us to live as, as we behave ourselves as fathers and exemplify our Heavenly Father in front of our spiritual children, holy, just, and blameless. Let's look at verse 10 of, of chapter 2 again. It, it, it says that they behave themselves holy, justly, and unblameably. But here's what the first part of that verse says. That the Thessalonians were witnesses, and God was their witness that they behaved that way. Now, let me ask us something. If we were to call the people in our lives to testify on our behalf as being holy, just, and blameless, would they be able to do it without perjuring themselves? And maybe some of us could do that. Man, I surely hope that, 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 you, that we could. But if they brought God in to testify as an expert witness... How would you do then? As spiritual fathers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were holy, just, and blameless. And that's what it looks like to exemplify our Heavenly Father as we disciple others. But we also saw earlier that a father is to point their children to the Heavenly Father. They're to point. So next I want us to see from 1 Thessalonians how Paul, Silas, and Timothy lay out for us what it looks like for a spiritual father to point their spiritual children to the Heavenly Father. Number four, the way spiritual fathers are to point their children, their spiritual children, to the Heavenly Father. The way spiritual fathers are to point their spiritual children to the Heavenly Father. Do we have that slide? You don't have that slide? You hear me even if we don't. God lays this out for us in, in, in verse 11. Here's, here, there it is. <clears throat> and God lays this out for us in verse 11 of chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2.11, here's, here's how this is described. As ye know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, pointing our spiritual children or those we're discipling to the heavenly father looks a whole lot like exhorting, comforting, and charging just like earthly physical fathers are to do with their physical children. They, that's a role that a father plays, exhorting, comforting, and charging. So first, let's look at exhorting. Letter A, to exhort. We're to exhort them. A good way to define exhorting, the way that the, the Bible uses this word, is to encourage toward righteousness. 
to encourage towards righteousness. And we, we, we won't be able to take the time to define these three things in as much detail as we did the last three. But I do want you to understand what God is teaching us. And, and as far as exhorting goes, we're, we're to behave like fathers towards those we're ministering and discipling. And a father exhorts his children. A father is supposed to encourage them to do the right things. They're, they're not just indifferent and apathetic towards their children. They're making a point to encourage them towards righteousness. When, when tough times and tough decisions, man, when they, they come in, in the life of, a, of someone you're discipling, were to encourage them to do whatever is pleasing to the Lord. And listen, when you genuinely care, that actually comes pretty naturally, you'll find. <laughs> when your physical child is on the verge of doing something that's destructive, we don't just tell them, I'm going to be praying you make the right decision there. I'll be praying for you that you don't fall off the edge of that cliff that you're tiptoeing on right there. No, you care enough to encourage them to do the right thing in the sight of the Lord. You exhort them to do that. And this is how our discipleship relationships should look. This is how Paul, Silas, and Timothy modeled this thing for us. They encouraged them towards righteousness. Another way that we learn from verse 11 that spiritual fathers are to point their spiritual children to the heavenly father is they're to comfort them. Letter B, to comfort. Verse 11 of chapter 2 says that they comforted the Thessalonians like a father does. And, and of course, that's a word that we're more familiar with. They, but they comforted them, they consoled them, and they showed them compassion. Listen, they were a part of their lives enough to actually know what was going on in their lives and show them compassion where they needed the compassion. Baby, babies or little children in Christ probably need that more than anybody. But we all go through things in our lives where we could, we could use some compassion, man. And God's teaching us that as we, as we minister and disciple and we behave like fathers towards our spiritual children, that we're to comfort them, not be calloused, but to comfort. And as we comfort them, what we're actually doing is we're pointing them to the ultimate comforter. We, we're comforting them, we're pointing them to the, to the one that in the midst of anything can give them the peace that passes all understanding. That's what we're doing. We're, we're pointing them to the one that can give them a sound mind. Another way that a spiritual father is to point their spiritual children to the heavenly father is to charge them. Let her see, to charge them. Verse 11 says that, that they charged them like a father does to his children. Charging them is, is, is very closely linked to exhorting them, like we just looked at. A, a way that we could describe charging someone is to strongly persuade and motivate them to do a particular thing. At, at the, all, all, the, all the college football coaches yesterday... They gave a charge to their football players before they hit that field, didn't they? Well, some of them it worked and some of them it didn't. But they, but they, gave, they gave a charge to those football players. Listen, we need to get out there and rip their head off. Right? 
That's what they, that's what they did. <laughs> For the glory of God. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they told them, and that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. They charged them as the Thessalonian spiritual father. They, they strongly persuaded them to do and not do certain things and motivate them and point them to the heavenly father. That's what earthly fathers were designed by God to do, and that's what spiritual fathers were designed by God to do. That's why Paul says to the Thessalonians, we behaved like a father does toward his children. And as they're doing this, they're modeling what discipleship is supposed to look like. But, but here's what I want to make sure that we see. They behaved like a father towards their children, and just like an earthly father, a spiritual father should exemplify the heavenly father to their spiritual children. And so because of that, they were holy, just, and blameless. And just like an earthly father, a spiritual father should point their children towards the heavenly father. And so because of that, Paul, Silas, and Timothy exhorted, comforted, and charged the Thessalonians. But listen, there was a driving force behind that whole thing. There was a driving force behind all of that. And the, the driving force behind spiritual fathers exemplifying and pointing their children to their heavenly father. There was a driving force. That's number, that's letter, that's number five. There's a driving force. Here's what their heart was behind all of that. And we find it in verse 12. Verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's the driving force. That ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. That you'd walk worthy of it. That's the driving force is so that they would walk worthy. Paul says, like an earthly physical father, we're behaving in particular ways in front of you so that you'll see the heavenly father in us. And like an earthly physical father, we're pointing you to the heavenly father by doing particular things. And we're doing all of that so you'll walk worthy of the one who called you to his kingdom and glory. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, their desire for the Thessalonians as they did all of these things in front of them was so that the Thessalonians walk or their manner of life, their manner of ministry. It would be worthy of God. What, what all this is about is so that we'll walk worthy of the God that now that we're saved, he's going to take us to his kingdom to spend eternity with him. And we'll be with God as a part of his kingdom and we'll be in the midst of his glory for all of eternity. I don't have the words to describe to you this morning just how incredible it's going to be to experience that eternal existence in that kingdom. Eternity with the one that died for us. Eternity with the one that saved us. Eternity with the one that's allowed us to share in his kingdom and allowed us to share in his glory. No more crying. No more pain. A perpetual state of euphoria. I don't have the words to describe it because the human mind can't comprehend just how amazing that's going to be. But listen, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying... So because that's our future, because we have that to look forward to, because of the grace that God has shown us, 
because of the hope that we have in Christ, because we're a group of people that will spend eternity with God in his kingdom, we need to act like it. We need to walk like it. We need to walk worthy of it. We have all this to look forward to. Eternity is going to be wonderful, and God's grace is beyond comprehension. But in the meantime, while we're still down here on earth, walk like someone who's going to be sharing in that splendor with God himself. We've been called to be holy and just and blameless. So let's walk worthy as someone who's going to spend eternity with the most holy. The one who's holy, holy, holy. The one that's the most just. The one that's so blameless that he was the sinless, spotless lamb on our behalf. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are saying, I'm trying to get you to walk worthy of that. And I think God wants us to ask us this morning, are we walking worthy of that? And I, th- and, and, and I think he wants to ask us, who are we investing in and discipling so that we can encourage them to walk worthy of that? Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they, they summarized for us how we need to walk, and then they showed us how to encourage others to do the same. Some of us need to start walking worthy of our calling, and others of us need to start being fathers to children so that they can walk worthy of theirs. God wants us to walk worthy He showed us how to do that. Will you turn the corner this morning and do whatever it takes to make sure that you're walking worthy of that? Jesus, you are our heavenly Father. You're the perfect Father. Our desire this morning is that, like fathers, we would would exemplify you in our lives. We would exemplify that to others that we're investing in and that we would be pointing them to you, God, and you divinely inspired 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12 to lay that thing out for us, God. You, you showed us what that even looks like. What an unbelievable way that you inspired your word to be put together to lay that out for us, God. I pray that... Now that, that we would do that, God, if we, if we haven't reached that place in our lives where we're doing that. Maybe there's people that need that investment. Maybe somebody here needs to, to talk to me after this service and, and see how we can't get you connected with somebody that maybe could be that spiritual father in your life. God, I pray, though, that we would all understand that the goal is to not just to have those people in our lives, God. The goal is to be that to others, God. That's the design. That's the way you laid this thing out with this thing of discipleship. I pray we do that. I pray we'd walk worthy of of our calling, God. I pray our lives would walk worthy of that, and we love you. In your name we pray, amen.